I will look for it. And we'll play our video real quick. Got to, right? Got to. Dude, I can Epic intro. Freaking times. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Thank you, Zeka. Mike Zeka, man, the king. We're, I'm, you can start us off. I'm going to look down at my phone for a little bit and be rude and share to all the groups. Sounds good. Hello, everybody. Hello, WrestleNet radio listeners. And also, hello, those of you joining us live in the virtual asylum and on all the, as the kids say, socials. Nate Maxson and David Gold here with maximum gold and ladies and gentlemen this week we are going to discuss our favorite tag teams of the 1980s on our last show which seems like we did it when trump was still president it's been that long we did the (laughs) our favorite 90s tag teams this time around we are doing our favorite 80s tag teams and for those of you watching live if you want to feel free to chime in your opinions here this evening Oh, I would love to see it, um, just to see everybody's opinions on 80s tag teams. Those of you who are joining us on the Asylum Wrestling Store, we appreciate all of you and your 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 views and, and all of that. And uh, we decided to go live tonight. Normally, this is done behind closed doors, but you're kind of getting a sneak peek. Also figured if you guys have it, make sure you get on over to the WrestleNet Radio Facebook page and mm-hmm. follow and uh Nate, tell them where they can download it if they want. Of course, if you we we had difficulties. Apple is very difficult as far as doing an app goes, but there is a link that anyone that's an Apple user, WrestleNet Radio, by the way, is 24-7, 365 Wrestling Talk. It's an internet radio station. Um, if you have an Apple phone, unfortunately, you'd have to go to the group page or the Facebook page to do there's a link that you can click to open it in Safari. If you have an Android phone, though, you can search for WrestleNet Radio in the App Store, the Play Store, the Google Play Store, I should say, and download the WrestleNet Radio app. And then it is 24-7 of uh, episodes of this show. Archie's If You Smell What the Arch is Cooking. We have a show called Slice of Time where we talk about the news from wrestling 25 years ago, the We Can't Wrestle podcast, Reliving the Extreme, and, of course, the Asylum Wrestling podcasts. And that and much, much more. Hasn't been recorded since, like you said earlier, when Trump was president. (laughs) (laughs) Now, those are the virtual asylums, though. We have all those on there, too, uh, that you can give a listen to. I have had uh, some... uh, I'm going to get the Chelsea Green episode up as a podcast this week, probably tomorrow, actually. I think I should have it done. So very excited for that. But, yeah, like David said, thank you to everybody who joins us in the virtual asylum. Those shows are a blast. And those guys, David and Mike and Nick, and they they just all work so hard to bring you virtually the stars of professional wrestling. And you guys should know how much we appreciate you. Yes, we do. We're, we're glad to have you all. I'm finally done sharing. So uh, sharing is caring, as we always say. Please like and follow and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We would like to get the growth on that. Um, just a cheap pop before we get the show started. Please, if you haven't, get your orders on the store. We have Earl Hebner on Saturday. Uh, we're probably going to do around 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And then we have Buddy Murphy, well, Matt Adams, formerly known as Buddy Murphy, on the 21st. And... Uh, that's going to be a big deal. We're going to try to do that show earlier in the day, too, due to the fact that SummerSlam has decided to be a, a Saturday event this year. Yeah, which is weird. Very weird. Yeah. I remember back in the day when the Royal Rumble used to be on Saturdays. But, yeah, it is odd that they booked it for a Saturday. Oh, for sure. <laughs> All right, so I'll let you go first because I've got an extensive list, and I'll cross them off as you go so we don't end up overlapping on our favorite 80s tag teams. And I'll probably do a really off-the-wall one that nobody would have picked first when I do mine. Okay. I know you said you had uh, 15. I have 10. I did a list of 10. But um, it'll probably, like you said, we'll have some doubles. So that'll your your extra five will help out there. Um, number 10 on my list, they were the WWF Tag Team Champions. And they actually weren't even supposed to be a team in the 1980s, but the, I guess, controversial uh, exit 
of Tom Zank from the WWF back in 1987 made this team happen. It is Tito Santana and Rick Martel Strike Force. And some of the most rare LJN figures back in the day because they came yeah. out and were bearing it white tight with a thunderbolt on the side. Yes, they did. Um, I thought Tito and Martel gelled very well together as a team, both kind of the same type of wrestler. Um, they they had a charisma to them as a team. They were they were actually very agile for they're just they're both deceivingly large at this time too. They were deceivingly big. And uh, they moved around very well for larger-sized guys, very great technical wrestlers as a team together. And after they broke up, I thought they had a fantastic feud against each other as well. Um, they would go back to those guys wrestling each other for like three or four years. Like every, every Saturday night's main event would be the model Rick Martel versus Tito Santana. But I just overall, I thought they were a great tag team. And uh, they didn't have a long run, but the run they had I think was really good. Yeah, I think I think also it led to one of the biggest heel turns when he became the rat, you know, when he became mm-hmm. the model, yeah. The model, all that good stuff. It was a great heel turn that no one expected because he was such a good guy and wholehearted and then bam, he just turns on him, screws his partner and Yeah, I think Martel had been a baby face. That, uh, Martel was the only one that got to move forward from that and his mm-hmm. tag partner didn't really I mean, he did. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, Tito had his he had his success earlier on, and then by this time they just kind of flattened him out. And then he was just always he was always a consistent worker, and he was always on the card, but he never got that big push again after Strike Force broke up. Yeah, for sure. All right, I'm going to start with the Killer Bees. It's one of my favorite. Jim Brundle and Brian Blair. Also, another set of rare classic Jack figures that uh, are very difficult to find. And um, very high-flying tag team. Bobby Heenan made fun of them all the time uh, during his Hall of Fame speech. He you know, talked about all the animal names that they had yeah. and, and whatnot. Um, uh, they, they had very unique tights. Obviously, they're going to be dressed as bees, right? So you go with the yellow and black. Um, you know, it was just simple. I mean, they worked together. They were untraditional. They did stunts that you didn't see in the 80s. High flying. I know the Rockers did the same thing. I'm kind of a tease mm-hmm. on my list, too. Um, but um, I just feel like they're one of an overlooked bunch of 80s tag teams that actually started, you know, that high flyer stuff, you know, top rope maneuvers and things of that nature. Well, and they did the they always, they did the mask confusion deal, you know, where they would – put the masks on and it was, it was always funny to me because that almost seemed like a heel move, but they were baby faces, but yeah, that really good team sound team. They have, if you haven't seen it or if you haven't, excuse me, if you haven't seen them folks, they had some really, really, really good matches in like lots of house shows and prime times. You get to see the killer bees have good 20, 25 minute tag team matches. And they actually had really good matches with demolition when demolition first came in. Um, if you, I think you can find them on the network on the primetime wrestling shows. But, yeah, Killer B is definitely a fantastic tag team. And I did not have them on my list, surprisingly. Some a lot don't. A lot don't. They don't think of the Killer Bees when they think of tag teams. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in my opinion, they're, they're up there. So they, they, they help. They, you know, Dynamite Kid, those type of wrestling styles was really getting over back then. The next team on my list is that I, I don't know that you can talk of a list of 80s tag teams without bringing these guys up just because of the attraction that they were. I almost call them the Andre the Giant of tag teams. Were they the best wrestlers? Probably not. But as far as being a draw and an attraction goes, the Road Warriors definitely need to be on your list. Talking Animal, um, one well, of the great tag teams. Number one on my list, but you know. Maybe mm-hmm. in the 80s, definitely. If you can argue the 90s, they weren't used appropriately, and Hawk had his demons and wanted to go to Japan and ended up working without animals. So, you know. Yeah, but in the 80s for the NWA, they drew some major houses. Like, there were shows where you could argue there were shows in certain areas where Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes weren't the draw. 
that the LOD was, you know. So, um, and Ronel Tinsley agrees his favorite is the Legion of Doom. Mike Harrison, 80s Road Warriors were great. Yes, they were. They were like, you it's, okay, if you watch those old those old studio NWA shows and <laughs> you see two j- jobbers standing in the ring and then you hear Iron Man and you just think, oh, these two guys are about to just get their butts handed to them. <laughs> like they, they did not look it did not look worked at all because it probably wasn't. <laughs> and I gotta say that WCW interview where Hawk is basically saying he's going to show him what is hard. <laughs> yeah. Show him Hawk. Well <laughs> And you can't you can't not you can't forget about Paul Ellering too. He was a great part of the package, you know. And um I he was a great promo in the middle of those two other great promos, but you always had that feeling like they were uncontrollable and Paul was there to keep them under control. You know what? A, what a superb tag team! What a great, what a great wrestling act! Oh yeah, and I mean, all over, everywhere they went, they were they were in the top. I mean, and you can argue even early '90s, but I, I get how they went downhill. But I mean, that that wasn't all their fault, you know. Right. So, mm-hmm. I got another weird tag team. You know, I'm going to start with the weird ones. I'm going with the U.S. Express, Barry Windham and Mike Rotunda. Yep. They were not together a very long time, but uh, they had they were tag champs. They had a great feud with Volkoff and Iron Sheik. Wyndham is a mm-hmm. Hall of Famer, you know, for, known for the Four Horsemen and whatnot, and Rotunda's more known for his IRS gimmick. But I got to right. say, man, they were they were like your early blackjacks. They just wore red, white, and blue, you know. So this duo they, was the first, like real Americans, you know. They were super over. Um and they like you said they didn't they didn't have a a long run as a team in the WWF but the run that they had they were so over like they were so over and they actually were the first ones to use the real american music before Hulk Hogan yeah so um but yeah i don't um i'm trying to think here of if I don't think they were ever a team in the NWA. I think they were just WWF. And then later on, when Barry went back to Florida, <laughs> they paired Rotunda up with Dan Spivey as the American Express, which I'm surprised they didn't get sued for that. But, um, yeah, I, I really like that team. Again, I think that they, they would have benefited from having a longer run together. Sure. I, I think, yeah, they would have been pushed a little more. It would have been good. but. Mm-hmm. That is what it is. But a good pull there. I like that team. Um, my next, The next team on my list is the British Bulldogs. Davy Boy and Dynamite Kid. Um, I mean, you could argue that in 1984-85, Bell to Bell, the Dynamite Kid, was the best wrestler on the planet. Um, doing, he was just doing things that nobody had ever done. And then you bring, you team up with a young Davy boy who wasn't yet, Davy wasn't really in that during the time in the eighties when they were a team, he hadn't yet become quote unquote, a power wrestler. He was still pretty nimble. And, um, the two of them meshed so well together and were so over. And I, it, I mean, it's unfortunate what happened, you know, personally in, in dynamite's life, uh, that cut his career so short, um, that they couldn't go on longer, but the, the run they had through the eighties is the tag team champions. And then the, in stampede. And I don't think you can argue with that. Some of the best tag team matches ever are the bulldogs versus the heart foundation um, in the early eighties in the WWF. But I got to put the bulldogs on my list. I like it. I would have fully agree with that one. And, and the fact that dynamite kid revolutionized, you know, high flying wrestling, and then you had Davey, who was still nimble, but also kind of a kind of a little bit of a powerhouse. Yeah. At the end of the day, I would have to go with them for sure. And they were over as hell. <laughs> like crowds loved the Bulldogs, um, even even when they slowed down. Even when they had to, uh, like, I mean, they talk about how WrestleMania three, um, pretty much uh, Dynamite Kid had to be carried to be put on that cart. But then he went out and performed, you know, and with the bad back and everything. Trying to look at the comments here. 
Mike Harrison said the fabulous Freebirds. I don't have the Freebirds on my list. Spoiler alert. But, but yeah, definitely the Bulldogs. All right. So my next one, and speaking of resting in peace, he just left us, unfortunately. I'm going with the Midnight Express. The Midnights are on my list. Yeah, Bobby Eaton, I mentioned it on uh, the podcast recently, um, the one we did right after he passed. There are great tag teams. There are great tag team wrestlers. But if you really, really look at it, bell to bell, he may not even be your favorite, but you can't deny Bobby Eaton was the greatest tag team wrestler ever. You know, just perfect. Absolutely perfect. I know, I've never seen a Bobby Eaton do a Bobby Eaton anything where there was an error or a flaw. Um, and the Midnight's man, damn. Either either incarnation, whether it was Eaton and Condry or Eaton and Stan Lane, people have their favorites. But what a team. Definitely. And and the names, beautiful Bobby Eaton, sweet Stan Lane. Mm-hmm. And the huggable, lovable Dennis Condry. (laughs) Yeah, and Cornette. (laughs) And Cornette, who happened to be with both, right? Really? Mm -hmm. And he he even, um, his his tribute to Bobby Eaton episode of his podcast was kind of hard to listen to. Like, I almost almost choked up a couple times myself. But he even said, uh, he even sent a thank out, thank you out to Tony Khan during that, during that podcast because they had done a tribute for, for AEW for Bobby Eaton. And he sent a legit, you know, a thank you to them and, and everything. So, I mean, I'm sure he's devastated. They were very good friends. But speaking of them as a tag team, I mean, the matches with the Rock and Rolls, the matches with the, the Road Warriors, um, what a team, man. Good pick. All right, what you got? Let's see if you match my list. You LOD was on my list for sure. I've got um, my next team. Is, it, they might be on your list because I'm kind of going back to the the Crockett era, and then I mean even into the WWF, but mainly mainly when they were in the Horsemen. Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. Ah, yes, you definitely hit my list. You <laughs> Gotta love the brain busters. And once again, another really difficult and expensive classic jacks two pack. Yeah, All these yeah. <laughs> classic jacks that are expensive <laughs> and hard to find. Anderson and Blanchard had like there are lots of combinations of the horsemen, you know, like they would pair them up or whatever. But Anderson and Blanchard were more the most the most consistent team of the four. They had great tag team title runs. They were I guess what I what I want to say is like it's like they were meant to be a team. It was you know you put those two guys together and they just they just they even fit as a team better together than Flair and Arn did. You know, just Arn and Tully kind of were synonymous with each other to me. No, oh, they definitely meshed um, for sure. I mean, and and Arn, I mean, just the just his in ring work and, and the fact that. Uh, Tully was kind of like the same as you just knew their work. Like if you were a wrestling fan back then, you knew where they came from. Mm-hmm. And you're like, Oh, I know where this came from. You know, I know they yes. have four sportsmen. This is great. It's almost like, and then it was really sad that what a year or two later then came in flair. So you almost had your four horsemen. in the Yeah. WWF. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah Cause JJ Dillon was even there at that time. Yep. So but, you almost yeah. had it. And then Barry Windham was a little bit before that too. Mm-hmm. You almost yes, it's funny. It. It's funny how the stars just could not align um, to make that happen. And then it's kind of sad that um, what happened with, with Tully when they left the WWF, he failed a drug test and then they were set. Him and Arn were set to go back together as a tag team back to the NWA and then I think I don't. I think Jim Hurd was in charge at the time or something. But they kind of put the kibosh on on Tully coming in because he failed a drug test somewhere else and screwed it all up. So they never got to reunite as a team. Yep. They're getting to hang out again together now. You know. <laughs> sure. I mean, I, you hit my list right on the head. I'm gonna go next with demolition. All right, that's my number two. 
Obviously, you can't ignore demolition. You can ignore a little bit of it when Crush was there. I mean, it was great, but it wasn't demolition. Right, right. You had Mr. Fuji as the manager. Their outfits were great. A lot of people like to say, well, it was a ripoff. I don't believe it was. I don't think that that's what they were trying to do. I get Vince one and his face painted tag team, but they were completely different than the Legion of Doom. Their moveset Mm -hmm. was different. They weren't as, I mean, they weren't in bad shape, but they weren't as ripped and built. You know, they their tag team maneuver was from the top rope. I just don't feel like it was a borrowed gimmick. I feel like it was their own thing. So, oh yeah, I mean, it was great. I oh, yeah, I absolutely always disagree with people that say that demolition was a rip off of the Road Warriors because there was enough different. I mean, if you want to call it a rip off of something, it's it's closer to Kiss than it is to the Road Warriors. You know what I mean? Um, but they they are my they were on my list, and I told David before we went on the air, two and one on my list are actually number two and number one. Demolition is my second favorite tag team of the eighties. Um, when I was a kid, man, there was there was almost nothing cooler on TV than Demolition. They looked cool, they wrestled cool, they sounded cool. Yep. Everything about Demolition was cool, whether they were good guys or bad guys. And I mean, as a little dude, I didn't even realize that Axe had had a, he'd been a wrestler for like 20 years at that point because he, you know, <clears throat> he wrestled under a mask before. Um, and they were just so good. And like you said, I mean, you get to the later time where it's crushes in the mix. And that was more because Bill Eady was, was, uh, I think he got like a stomach illness or something. And he had to, he had to go off the road for a while. And I want to say one more thing about those guys. Two of the coolest wrestlers, like people that I've ever met in person, too, as wrestlers. Bill Eady had, he probably took 20 minutes out of his time at a convention I was at to talk to me. Where, where are you from? Told him I was from Ohio. He talked to me about how he was from Ohio and he had one point been a substitute teacher, like 100 miles from where I lived and blah, blah, blah. I got to say, Bill Eady looks like a teacher, too. Like, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> But super cool guys. And it was funny too, because I had the, uh, I had a, we can't wrestle podcast t-shirt on and uh, Barry Darso looks up and he goes, what's that supposed to mean? And I said, Oh, that's, that's, that's a podcast that I have. And he's like, Oh, okay. And then he got cool with it. And he's like, I might have to listen to it. You know, they're full of crap when they tell you that, but it's nice of him to say it anyway. (laughs) Sure. No, I, I agree. A thousand percent. And we had had demolition. Meet and greets. They were really easy to work with. They stood in the ring and took pictures with us. They signed everything. They talked to the fans. They didn't rush people in and out. They mm-hmm. drove. They were very easy to get to get to come in. We didn't have to fly them in. You know, they were very reasonable. So I would love to do do another show with them again for sure. Great guys. Yeah. And great stories. Great stories. Like when I was editing the audio for that to make it into a podcast. Like a lot of times, you know, I try to take out the, the, the quiet moments or whatever. So it kind of flows a little more as a podcast. So I'm listening, but I'm not listening. Like, you know what I mean? But with that one, I got, I got so caught up in the stories they were telling before I knew it. I had listened to the whole thing and not edited anything. (laughs) It was like, well, this was, this was three hours of me, you know, not being very productive, but yeah, great storytellers too. Definitely demolition. Now the next team on my list might surprise some people, but I really liked them as a team. I liked them as baby faces early on. And then I thought they were a fantastic, like snotty heel team. It's uh, Jacques and Raymond, the fabulous Rougeau brothers. Now I didn't like the story from dark side of the ring though. That was kind of, I don't know. His yeah. fight with with uh, Dynamite Kid wasn't a fan. Mm-hmm. No, with the, yeah, was the, of it. Uh, yeah, wasn't yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, as a person, Jacques kind of an a hole, uh, which he'll tell you that he'll tell you that he's not going to you know cover it up or anything. But as a team, I just always thought they were really fluid. I thought that the the all American boys thing with the little flags and they're talking about how they're from Memphis, Tennessee, with obvious French accents and. Uh, all that I thought that they I thought they were really good and they were really good in the ring. They had some stinkers with the Bushwhackers, but those two teams to me just didn't mesh. But overall, yeah, I dig the Rougeos. And I actually I 
I, I, I couldn't go into the nineties because if I was going to go into the nineties, I'd say I like the Quebecers better. But uh, for for tag teams for the eighties, I got to go. I, I definitely put Rougeau's on my list. Man, I hated the Quebecers, and that means they're doing their job right. I hated them. Yeah. <laughs> but he was better as the Mountie singles. That was his best mm-hmm. run, in my opinion. But uh, Jimmy Hart was a great manager to throw with them. And it, it kind of brings me to liking what AEW is doing now because they're doing a lot of people with valets and managers. I feel like we're going – a lot of folks don't like that, but I really enjoy it because if you remember in the 80s, everybody had a manager or a valet. Some nights you'd see Slick, Heenan, Hart. Mm-hmm. For, remember WrestleMania? Hart's ripping off the jacket, putting on another jacket to come out yeah. for the next match. <laughs> you know, and he's like, I'm going to get out there, baby. You know. <laughs> they well and in the w especially in the wwf back then every there was very rarely ever a heel that didn't have a manager oh, every heel every heel was in somebody's happened. stable yeah the yeah. faces started having him too and it's like jimmy would take his jacket off and you know baby you know put the next one on and he'd go back out with the nasty boys after he just left with the what was the lady tag team that he managed? Um, the uh, uh, bu- 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 Ju- it was Judy Martin and yeah. uh, and he got knocked off the rope in that WrestleMania, right? Yes. He got up on the what rope. The- Judy Man, Martin. And, oh God, was it Man. No, 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 no. Lalani Kai, Judy Martin and Lalani Kai. Kai. And he got up yeah. on the ropes. They knocked him down. They lost. Then he comes backstage, rips his jacket off, and I think the next match is the Nasty Boys, and he's putting on the Nasty Boys jacket, I, I believe. And it's like, you know, I'm going to go win the next one, you know. I got <laughs> they Well, I mean, I mean, at WrestleMania three, they even keep a tally for Bobby Heenan because he's got to go out there three or four times, and they're like, you know, well, Bobby, you've had one loss, one draw, you know, to build <laughs> right. up to the he Andre match. Yeah. <laughs> and his one his one shining moment was when he helped Rick Rude win the belt against Warrior, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so but um and I happen to have the number for management. Mike, Mike Harrison. That's okay. Mike Harrison says, speaking of Hogan, what about the mega powers? I don't have them on my list, but yeah, I mean for the for the year that they were a team. They were they were over like Rover. Billy Ann Wolf says the bees. Yeah, David called it earlier. The Killer Bees, one of the great teams of the eighties. And I think you're next. We got yep. off on a tangent about managers, but I think you're I think you're next. Yeah, but that goes in line with the tag teams. I mean, the LD had Paul Ellering. Demolition had Mister Fuji. Mm-hmm. Rock and Roll Express was my next team. Midnight Express had Cornette. You know, it's just they all, they all, even as great as they were, and Hawk and Animal were amazing on the mic, they still had Paul Ellering. Yeah, the British Bulldogs had Lou Albano. Yeah, so they all, even the tag, even the greatest tag teams had managers at one point. The Fabulous Rougeau's had Jimmy Hart. You know, it's just mm-hmm. we're going to stick a good mouthpiece with them anyway. So, but I'm going with the Rock and Roll Express next. You know, you. And- you pulled and them still off my wrestling. List. Yep, and still as good as ever. Before the pandemic, the last the last show I went to before the pandemic, the Rock and Rolls were there, and they wrestled, and they wrestled like freaking uh, Ricky Morton did a Canadian Destroyer. Like they're they're amazing. They're amazing. Ricky Morton himself is one of the best babyface wrestlers of all time. Like nobody could sell nobody could sell a beating like Ricky Morton. You know, he's up no, there with Sean no. Sean Michaels and Ricky Steamboat and Yep, I agree. And you, you have you know, Morton comes in and he has that comeback moment, you know. Mm-hmm. It was it was just beautiful to watch. And they they still are pretty good in the ring. It's pretty shocking yeah. that they can <laughs> still go. I mean and they still take bumps. I mean, you know, they're five minute matches as they should be. I mean, if if I was their age, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. They, it's not like it, I, I get really mad when people go to an indie show or something and there's a legend there and they get pissy because the legend only wrestled for five minutes. It's like, first of all, at their age, obviously, second of all, they have already given you 20 years of, you know, 25 minute matches. They're making a living. 
They're still coming out and entertaining you. Enjoy the five minutes. <laughs> yeah. And their feuds with uh, the, the, you know, the midnight, their feuds were just, I mean, they were just good. Like, and, and mm-hmm. they, they were just like rockers, you know, in several ways. So, yeah, the, the only time, the only, the only time I was, and I don't even want to say I wasn't a fan of them as wrestlers. They were still great wrestlers. The only time I, I can say that I was kind of boohoo, boo-booing on the Rock and Roll Express is when WCW broke them up. Um, I mean, not that I didn't like the Richard Morton deal when he was with the York Foundation, but yeah, that was decent. But it wasn't him. Decent. Yeah, him versus Robert didn't work. It just it was kind of like when WCW had Flair wrestle Anderson. It was like you would think it would work and it would be this dream match, but it just didn't work. You'd rather see them together than apart. And that speaks to their their continuity as a tag team. Um, and another team that that's another team, the Rock and Roll is another team that put the asses in the seats too. They were they were a draw in a lot of the shows that they were on. Rock and Roll Express and Midnight Express, I bet, could have drawn without even having Ric Flair on the card. Um, I have two teams left. The next one is one that I am a super, super mark for because I'm a mark for both of the guys. I think me and me and Batista are the only two guys in the world that have admitted that we are Warlord fans. But I love the Powers of Pain, the Warlord and the Barbarian. They are one of my favorite teams of all time. And I love them both as singles wrestlers, too. But as a team, um, once again, much like Demolition, when I was a kid, I thought the, the Powers of Pain were cool. And... They were menacing, and for their size, I mean, say what you will, I thought they always both worked pretty well, too, but I love the Powers of Pain, man. Barbarian has been great with anyone he's with, like, not yep. to change the tag team, but he was also good with Ming. Oh, God, yes. Faces yeah. of Fear, so, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it was the same tag team, basically, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think Warlord was okay as a singles wrestler, but I think this really rejuvenated him. And mm-hmm. I think they should have had a, a long tag team run. Who was managing them? Was it Jimmy Hart or was it Fuji? Fuji, Fuji for that one. Okay. Fuji. And then when they broke up, when they broke up, Barbarian went with Bobby Heenan and Warlord went with Slick. Got it. But yeah. um, they, I was a fan. I was like, like I said, I think I'm one of the only three people that admit that they're a Warlord mark. I love the Warlord. I thought that he should have gotten, and I know, again, we're getting off the tag team thing, but as a wrestler, I, it always baffled me that he never got that, you know, the two or three month run with Hogan, you know, because he looked like a, an opponent that was built to be an opponent for Hulk Hogan, and it just never happened. Like, he never had the Saturday night's main event run or whatever, but as a team, I really liked him. I dug their feud with Demolition, even though back then I was disappointed that they didn't get a title run. Um but yeah, I gotta say, Powers of Pain definitely one of my favorite tag teams of the decade of the eighties. All right, let's see who I had. Who else did have we not talked about yet? Uh, I'm gonna go with um, the Heart Foundation. Obviously, um, you can't. I'm sure that was on your list, wasn't it? Oh, they—they they are my favorite tag team of the eighties. Yes, at hands down. No doubt about it. It's the Hart Foundation for me. Yeah, the Hart Foundation, Bret Hart, great as a singles wrestler, obviously. But Anvil, when he did, when started going off and grabbing that goatee and yelling at the, you know, 80s promos, all you did was yell, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, with you. And they're like, yeah, yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. God, God, God. You know, it's like, that's 80s promos, man. It's like they're all screaming, and and Brett was just like always would tap the tag belt and just would be like very like wouldn't say much. He's like tell a man, and Anvil's like you know. <laughs> he's kind of like hard right there in my example, but <laughs> and that well, and then you've got Jimmy Hart who is just kinetic energy. Jimmy Hart always moving. Always moving, you know, and it, their promos as the three of them together, they were a perfect act um, for a heel act. And I call that pudgy Brett. Because back then when they were doing that heel run, he was kind of pudgy. He, You know, he looked kind of puffy. But 
They had amazing matches with the Bulldogs. They had amazing matches with the Rougeos. They had amazing matches with LOD, but not LOD. I meant Demolition. Mm-hmm. They had amazing matches. I mean, just you put the you put the Heart Foundation in the ring with anybody, and you're guaranteed to have a great tag team match. And on top of that, the the two styles of the two men were starkly different, but complemented each other perfectly. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, Brett was the more technical, tactical submission, and he didn't even do as what he did in the 90s. His style changed a little bit, but right. you know, he Brett was like your mat high flyer. Like, you didn't see him get on the top rope often. He'd get on the second rope type deal, and then he would hit the occasional bulldog or something like that, and um, and, and then you had Anvil. He was just a heavy hitter. He was like the Ron Simmons of the group. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So yeah, it was just one of those. It was just awesome, man. Definitely my favorite tag team of the 1980s. I do have one thing I want to say that is, and thinking about a Heart Foundation promo or any wrestling promo, wrestling is the only thing where <laughs> you you can say, um, what do, what do I want to say? You you could you call another man baby. <laughs> you know, like, whoa, 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 wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you just call yeah. me? Did you just call me daddy? Why'd you do that? But anyway, <laughs> uh, now that I'm out of teams, we're just going to do the re- whatever is the rest of your of your list and we'll discuss them because I'm out. All right. Uh, hang on a second. Uh, let me see. I had um, the fabulous free birds. Michael um, Hayes. So, P.S. Hayes, Terry Gordy, and Buddy Roberts. There was a time. There was a time where, if you go back and watch, if you go back and watch through probably, so let's say 1985, 1986, Terry Gordy was one of the top wrestlers on the planet. You know, that's one of the top guys in the game in that team. He was like, he was like Stan Hansen times three as far as like a powerhouse, because not only was he like Hanson as far as being a powerhouse, but he had speed and, and it was perfect to put the three guys together because Michael had the promo is, I mean, let's be honest. Michael Hayes was never a great, I, I don't want to say he was a bad, he just was never in the ring. The he never, he yeah, he the in the spot. ring, he, <laughs> bell to bell. He never caught my attention, but when that man talked, I listened. And then, you know, buddy Roberts being there, they were a perfect, and they were the perfect foil for the Von Erichs. I mean, those two teams drew money against each other for years, for years in in world class. Um, but yeah, definitely the Freebirds, tons of charisma, um, and a great team. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had um, on my list. I had um, Nikolai Volkov, Iron Sheik. I thought that was a great heel team. Everyone got so sick of Volkov singing the national anthem. Freddie and Blassie's like Freddie Blassie's like what cane? I didn't have no cane when he yeah. clearly when he clearly cracked the cane over the head of Barry Windham at WrestleMania. Yeah, stand up, stand up. <laughs> America, hakui. Yeah, I also had the Fantastics on there. Hmm. The Fantastics. Um, the um, Bobby Fulton, uh, uh, I, Tommy I Rogers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastics yeah. are pretty good. Little when I was still. when I was younger, when I was younger, I didn't like the Fantastics because I thought they were trying to rip off the Rock and Roll Express kind of. But then I, as I got older and went back and watched stuff, I realized what a great team the Fantastics were. You know, and the Fabulous ones too were really good. Yeah, for sure. Let me see. Who else did I have? Well, we already discussed the Rockers. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the heel turn on Marty Jannetty was huge. I love the jokes about how he ran through the glass window to get away from Sean. Yeah. <laughs> it's a shame well, that Marty couldn't curb his anger and, and had a better singles run and went through what he went through, but I do understand. Um, right. And I know they tried to do his brief comeback, and that didn't go as planned either, so... I had the Rockers. Um, I, I, I would have loved to put to have been able to put the Steiners on the list, 
but they didn't really the the brothers themselves didn't really even hook up as a team until like eighty nine. So they came they came in as a team so late in the decade that I didn't put them on the list just because when we're, if I'm talking about the entirety of the eighties, I mean if we would have if you know it, you know what I mean like they just to me they're a great team. We talked about the Steiners in the nineties a lot on our nineties mm-hmm. one. So I think I think they're more of a nineties team. In my opinion, yeah. I think they were – and they flip-flopped for a little bit, and they were bigger when they feuded with Harlem Heat and stuff like that. WCW had one of the best tag divisions in 93 um, that you could ask for. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, you could say early Steiner's 80s, but it was really only 88 through 89, so it really wasn't the whole – right. I, mean, I guess yeah, you that's- could argue that some of these other tag teams we named were only around for a year or two as well, so – yeah, it's it's all semantics, but I, I was just trying to think of other teams I could throw on there. Let's see, who else are we possibly forgetting that was a team of the '80s? I mean, I guess you could say Brutus Beefcake, the Dream Team. You could say yeah, Brutus Beefcake and Greg Valentine. They were pretty they, good. I mean, they were. They, it's like Valentine said. He's like essentially he he. Uh, it is funny during his Hall of Fame speech. When he goes, he talks about teaming up with Beefcake, and he's like, "Yeah, they wanted to, they wanted me to teach him how to wrestle." And then he goes, "I tried my best." <laughs> like, but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, when 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 Beefcake was with was with the Hammer, they were a good team. They were over his heels. Yeah. That's probably my favorite incarnation, I guess you'd say, of Brutus Beefcake was when he was in the Dream Team. Um, Rocky Johnson and Tony Atlas. You know, yeah, back they, in they were, back, they were pushing them too. Yeah, they were. They yeah. were good. I mean, back they were before the good. expansion. Yeah, you could say anybody, um, the the machines, I guess, but they were more of three versus two. Mm-hmm. You know, Andre and you know demolition and all that. Well, because it, it because they were early on in the decade, um, probably don't get remembered as much for being a. I guess they get probably they get my remember more for being in the seventies, but in the eighties they were still early a big deal. The Samoans, you know, often Sika. Oh yeah, they I were. Can't forget them when they were all over the place. They were territory guys, so yeah, mm-hmm. you, know, you, can't, you can't leave the Samoans out, man. Rakishi would be sitting on our faces right now for not. Mentioning <laughs> <it>. I, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Oose. It's okay. We got him. We got him Oose, on there. Ready to take that stink face. <laughs> Man, I got to just say this, not to change the subject, but me and Jeff, when we went to do Rikishi and uh, and Samu's show, we stopped at the Cracker Barrel and had lunch. You know, like any mm-hmm. any show, we would eat food. We walk in, right. and he's like, ooh, we barbecued. We got all this food over. They had, like, ham and turkey rolls. They had um, potato salad stuff. They had, like, all these vegetables, cups, and Sweets mm-hmm. and banana pudding and chips and he's like, "Oops, we threw out the table for you, bro." And we're like, "Fuck, we just ate." <laughs> <laughs> so we're like, and I'm on this keto diet, so obviously I'm like, "Oh man, all right, well I'm gonna have to cheat now. I can't not." Right? Yeah, yeah. He's like, and I'm sitting there like, "Oh, this is so much food." And he's like, "This is how we eat, Oops. And I'm like, "Oh man." <laughs> I'm like, this is like 12 people worth of food here. So me and Jeff are putting stuff on the plates and just trying to eat as much as we could while Samu and Rakesh are just throwing it down, man. Barbecue, ribs, chicken. They're just like, we're like, you know, and then when we ate with Candace and Lisa, Mm -hmm. we went to the Jimmy Seafood. Man, Candace can eat, man. She had, we each had a plate and she had like 10 plates and like, it was like wrapped around the table and she was like shit eating off of everybody's plate, ripping those crab legs apart by hand. Man, that woman can eat. Dude, can <laughs> What's eat. up, Tyler? Yeah. <laughs> crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. That just reminded me of the Samoans, man. And he's like, this is what we do. You know, we, we always have big get togethers, 10, mm-hmm. 15, 20 people deep. We always cook a lot of food. Very hosp- very good hospitality. 
it was just an amazing time. And we're like sitting there like, we better, we better eat some damn food right now. Or yeah. not. <laughs> we're going to look rude. Yeah. <laughs> or we're going to look really bad. And we didn't Can I know. Get a- so we're like stuffed. Like, and then he's like, y'all need to take some with you. So we're like taking bags full. He's like, get some more, get some more. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> got a doggy bag. Got a doggy bag from Rikishi's place, huh? That's yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I guess that's a wrap. Well, you want to talk about <laughs> well, <laughs> tell them, Nate. Well, <laughs> I enjoyed the show this time around, and I want to thank everybody who joined us live in the virtual asylum and all the other pages, and uh, thank all of you listening on WrestleNet Radio. I don't know, David, if there's anything else you want to plug or discuss before we sign off this evening. Hey, just once again, uh, thank you to everybody. I spent the last week and a half mailing out cane stuff, and there's still a couple items left because I, I ran out of COAs. That's the first time I've ran out of COAs, so I had to print more, so please bear with us on that. Uh, we have some Lita stuff that's late. I understand that. We've been waiting for her to get settled back on the West Coast and stop traveling, so finally that box should be here hopefully in the next couple days so I can get everybody who still owed Lita stuff out. Um, we have a bunch of shows coming up. We're super busy. You know, we've got Earl Hebner, you know, we've got, uh, Matt Adams, formerly known as Buddy Murphy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we got Alistair Malachi Black coming up at WrestleCade. We got mm-hmm. the Godfather, Al Snow, Ron Simmons, Sergeant Slaughter, you know, Tugboat Typhoon, Fred Ottman coming in. Uh, we're doing Lance Archer in Texas again. And then I hear we're going to be doing something special at the first three days of October. So that's going to be released out. Uh, Apparently, I'm going to be traveling uh, three days all across Florida. Oh, well. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that was news to me. But, yeah, apparently we'll be doing some traveling down there. And if you guys know Florida very well, there's a couple big names that live in Florida. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be doing some shows there. Um, and hopefully this uh, COVID train doesn't stop us, but it won't because we'll continue doing our virtuals like we started. But hopefully we can still see you all at the, the conventions. But definitely listen to WrestleNet Radio. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year. Then it's 366. I always throw <laughs> that in there because there's always an extra day. At least and the false advertising is an extra day and not one less day. Right. So it's not like where they're like, well, are you guys taking that day off or what? So February 29th, your day off, finally. (laughs) So please, please like and subscribe that. Download it. Listen to it. It's going to it's going to blow up. Hopefully we can start getting some uh, wrestlers and stuff on there. Um, We're going to start doing some interviews. Hopefully, I know you have your legend show coming up. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you'll have some folks there. Yes. Um, And. We are, I want to, I want to, I guess I'll just let the cat out of the bag. All right. For the We Can't Wrestle podcast, we have, we had uh, Tommy Cairo from ECW on the Reliving the Extreme show. Um, And that turned into more of just a BS session with him and Chad talking about, I mean, I just sat back and listened. It was really, it was a blast. But um, I am going to be trying to do a, a more formal interview with Tommy Cairo about his career and history in wrestling on the We Can't Wrestle podcast and letting the cat out of the bag. I believe it's going to be probably in October um, on the We Can't Wrestle podcast. We will be doing an interview with Alex Wright. Oh. Um, I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm very excited for that because I don't know if he's ever <laughs> been. A, I don't know if he's ever been on an American podcast or not. So I'm you got to get him on there and do this a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then I'm also talking to, um, I think this guy would have some great stories about, especially because if you think about it, he was an OVW in the same class as John Cena, Brock Lesnar, Shelton Benjamin, Batista, talking to Doug Basham about an appearance on the We Can't Wrestle podcast, too. So I think he'd have some cool stories about those OVW days, the early um, days Basham of the Cena and Orton. Yes, yeah. Did, who was so, the, who was their valet? The, the oh, with the whip. Oh, God. Man, she was she, on, where did she go? She was on Tough Enough, but yeah, I can't remember was, her name. She was like ripped like freaking mm. jazz mixed with – she was like jazz mixed with China a little bit, but had that whip. <laughs> And would beat the Bashams up with it. Why in the hell can't I remember her name? 
I don't know. I'm going to look it up right now while we're live because I don't want to look bad and end the show without knowing her name. Let me see. Basham Brothers. Oh, Archie, Archie chimed in. Her name was Linda Miles. She was Shaniqua. 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 That's who it was. But she was freaking awesome, dude. Like, she was scary. She was scarier than they were. She was taller than they were, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Archie, for helping out there. We appreciate you. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder what she's doing now, man. <laughs> I don't know. She hasn't been around. But she's she probably only, left wrestling She's only like 04. eight years older than me, so she's 43 now, so she could probably still go, man. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't heard anything about her since she left WWE back in, what, what 04, probably? I think was the last time she was around. She was period of time. The Bashams, unfortunately, didn't get their didn't get their due. I thought I thought they could have been pretty good. I mean... I think they were buried by uh, Matt Hardy a bit there. So yeah, yeah. That Art, was the last Archie, little bit of ruthless aggression before we started getting that John Cena era. So mm-hmm. Archie's not our friend anymore. What show was he recording by himself? He was probably yeah. He was probably recording the "If You Smell What the Arch Is Cooking" while we were recording this. We're on he a separate stream yard. I thought you were his host. Oh. No, he does. He does that show solo, Joey Style side style. He just oh, I can only imagine him just over there wafting in his own farts. Like I'm smelling <laughs> what I'm cooking right now. I'm baking. <laughs> you should smell what I'm baking. <laughs> oh, My shit. nose got here five minutes before I did. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's sad they took that off the network. I understand why. I get the whole D'Lo Brown stuff. I. You know, mm-hmm. you know, and then the Mark Henry. I yeah, I get why they took it off, but it was still it was still good stuff. Yeah, the man. Jason Sensation Owen Hart imitation is fantastic. Hey Archie, <laughs> I got a question for you. How do you get your pecs to go all the way around your back like that? <laughs> <laughs> what does yeah, Archie say? Great. At least if I had a show, I'd let his name be first. David Gold. That's. Well, his name is first. It's Maximum Gold. So his Aha. name is first. I didn't. It's not Gold Maximum. <laughs> that sounds like condoms. That sounds like a condom thing. Yeah, it might, <laughs> hey, we might have a new one presented by Gold Maximum. <laughs> maximum. <laughs> so I think what we should do now is, is, since we're signing off, let's go ahead and we're going to end our show with that epic Asylum Store logo so everyone can see it again. Sounds good to me. I like it. Thank See you, guys. Everybody. We're going to be recording, hopefully, me and Archie. We're going to start a show called What If? Mm-hmm. So, um, oh, you call it Gold Maximus? No, it's not Gold Maximus. It's Maximum <laughs> Gold. But anyways, all right, guys, we will see you guys in a couple days. <laughs> gold Maximus. That sounds like a... That sounds like a superhero villain. Like, I'm going to destroy the Avengers. (laughs) All right, guys. We'll see you soon. Thank you for tuning in. And bye. Goodbye, everybody.